Our modern day culture minimizes the role of character. Rather, it champions competency in leaders, claiming that if a leader performs well, it doesn't matter what they do in their private life. Our ability, uh, the Bible, however, champions character. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world who we are as a person. Our ability, what we do in public, is important. But our character, who we are in private, is crucial. That's the message that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy on how we can be on mission with Jesus. Uh, today we honor our moms. All of us have a mom. Every once in a while, uh, a young parent will say to me, how did you do it? You have nine kids. I'm worn out with one or two. I'm always hesitant to give uh, parents any uh, advice. Uh, when we had our first son, Tad, I would give messages all the time. I felt like we, uh, Jory and I were pretty confident in how to be a parent. And, and then when we had our second uh, son, David, I still would give a lot of messages about parenting. Then by the time we had our third son, Luke, and fourth, Joel, fifth, Mark, sixth, Andrea, I stopped giving messages uh, on parenting. felt like, I don't know if we really know what we're doing. But one thing I know for sure, moms, you cultivate your character. You show your child that you're honest, that you tell the truth. And you show them that you're, you love them and you are forgiving and patient. They will see that and want to become just like you. A person prayed one day, Lord, so far I haven't done too badly. I haven't gotten angry and lost my temper. I haven't yelled at anybody. I haven't said anything mean or unkind to anyone. I haven't been rude to anyone. I haven't gossiped about anybody. But I'm going to need your help in a minute because I'm going to crawl out of bed and get up. Isn't that the way it is? We do pretty fine when we're in bed. But when we have to get up, all kinds of things happen that test our character. Uh, this is the fifth in a series of messages from the book of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. He realizes he's a dead man. He's going to be put to death by Emperor Nero. So he focuses his attention on telling Timothy everything he needs to know so Paul can pass the baton to him on how Timothy can be on mission for Jesus like Paul was. So far, he's told him he must guard God's truth. There will be people that want to water it down or change it, compromise it. He's told him he has to be strategic in passing God's truth on to people who can teach and lead others. He must be willing to work hard like a soldier or an athlete or a farmer. He must discipline himself to spend time in God's Word and, and study it so that he understands it, so that he can explain it to other people, cut a straight path through it so other people can understand. And he can't do it alone. He can't be on mission by himself. He has to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now in 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 3, 9, he tells Timothy he must cultivate character. 
To be on mission with Jesus requires character. Character is not just a religious thing. You may not be a follower of Christ, but you want to have character. You want to be a good person when no one is looking. Student, single, married, mom, dad, empty nester, you want to have character. Paul tells us five things to do to cultivate character. First, we must flee sin and pursue good. Paul writes, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. To have character, which is who we are when no one is looking, we have to pursue a pure heart. How do we do that? Paul says you do two things. You flee one thing and pursue another. You run away from some things and run after others. You run away from anything that simulates youthful lusts. Now, this doesn't refer to just partying, but any uh, sorts of things that trap immature leaders like impatience, self-promotion. We run away from spiritual danger and we run after the good. We find this two-step process throughout the New Testament. We put off our old nature and put on Christ's new nature. We deny ourselves and follow Christ. We put off what belongs to our old life and, set our, and put our, on what belongs to our new life. We put to death our earthly desires and pursue heavenly things. We crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. It is a ruthless rejection of one in combination with the relentless pursuit of the other. The second thing we must do to cultivate character, to be on mission with Jesus, is avoid quarrels. So Paul writes, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Paul doesn't mean that we never enter into debate. We're just not to argue about foolish and stupid matters. Uh, they are things that are just matters of opinion. They're not worth arguing about. It's impossible to take from this that we're never going to enter into controversy. The Apostle Paul, when the gospel was at stake, got into a big debate with no less than the Apostle Peter. What Paul forbids is getting involved in controversies which are themselves foolish and stupid. They're foolish because they're arguing about things that are just speculation. They're stupid because they're arguing about things that go beyond what the Bible teaches. They're pointless arguments because one person's opinion is as good as another's. For example, a lot of Christians today get all juiced up about the second coming of Christ. They argue about whether Christ is coming before a period of tribulation or after. They say they see things going on in the world that are fulfillments of prophecy. Therefore, Christ is coming any minute. One thing Christ was very clear on, he says, no one will know when I'm coming again. 
All we can say with certainty is that Christ is coming again. He can come at any time, and we need to be ready. The third thing Paul says about cultivating character so we can be on mission with Jesus is accept the reality of evil. Now, we've seen this theme more than once. Last week, I talked about plan on difficulties. To be on mission with Jesus will be hard. Paul writes, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Uh, The last days, according to the New Testament, started with the birth of Christ. So anyone who has lived after the death and resurrection of Jesus is living in the last days. Paul tells Timothy, these days will not be easy. He will face terrible times. To describe them, he uses the Greek word kalepos. It means times that are difficult and hard. They'll be challenging. We need to cope with them. It's like Paul is poking us in the sternum with the quill of his pen, warning us the difficult times will come as evil tries to destroy good. It's like he's flashing a yellow or red light. There's danger ahead. We need to accept this reality. A positive attitude requires realistic expectations. Evil sometimes occupies positions of power. We have to endure persecution. We know it won't last forever, so we can persevere. We know Christ is coming again. We know Christ has the last word in this world. We know that Satan and his evil divorces will be defeated, but we accept the reality of evil. We're not surprised by it. Accepting the reality of evil helps us cultivate character. To be on mission with Jesus requires character. The fourth thing we must do to develop character so we can be on mission with Jesus is gently counsel people who are spinning wildly out of control. As our country becomes increasingly secular, and we see evil growing in strength all around us, what are we supposed to do? We have many people who don't believe in God. We have others who don't think Jesus is the Son of God. They think Christians are judgmental and hypocritical. What do we say to them? Paul tells us, opponents must be gently instructed. We don't yell at them. We don't criticize them. We don't get in huge fights with them. We don't get in arguments on Twitter or Facebook. None of these things will help. We are to be gentle with them. We love them. We love them all the more as they spin wildly out of control. We don't judge them. We love them. Now Paul makes a list of people who are wildly out of control. The Apostle Paul is famous for lists. Uh, He begins a list here of no fewer than 19 characteristics of people spinning wildly out of control during our last days. Now, when I read this list, don't be just kind of sitting there checking, say, yeah, I see that in the world, in people. Look at it more personally. Which of those uh, uh, would be descriptive of you. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
told my kids last night as we were going through this, that's my favorite line in this list, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul identifies what is probably the core problem. Rather than being lovers of God, we are lovers of ourselves. The reason the last days are tough is not because of something God does, it's something we do. We become lovers of ourselves. Uh, Six times out out of these uh, uh, descriptive words, Paul uses the Greek uh, compound, a phil, uh, at the beginning of the sentence, which is the Greek word for love. He says, we are, uh, they are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, not lovers of good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What is fundamentally wrong with us is that we love ourselves before God. We're self-centered. And self-centeredness is the root of all these other terms. They're a description of broken-down relationships when we are selfish. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, he answered in a verse, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We're to love God first. If we love ourselves first, our life spins wildly out of control. The root problem we are facing in our troubled times is that we are self-centered instead of God-centered. That's why we must go on mission with Jesus. We must take the message of Jesus Christ to people. He's the only one who can change the heart from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. So Paul goes on to describe religious leaders who take advantage of women. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They visit at times when the husbands are away or they prey on women who have lost their husbands through divorce or death when they are more likely to be enticed by evil desires. The final way to cultivate character so that we can be on mission with Jesus is to keep your confidence in God and his life-transforming resurrection power. Now, we've seen this theme every message in this series. We don't go on mission with Jesus on our own strength. We have to rely on Christ's resurrection power, and he makes it available to us through the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them. This is God's part, what he does. He will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. God is the one who grants them repentance. We can't do that. God's the one who leads them to a knowledge of the truth. We can't do that. God's the one who brings people to their senses and helps them escape from the trap of the devil. We can't do that. Paul goes on to describe an example of teachers who strayed from God's truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. 
They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. Uh, Jonathan Jarbers, uh, according to Jewish historians, were two of the sorcerers in Pharaoh's court. When Moses came in and said, let my people go, and threw down his staff, and it became a snake, Pharaoh said to his sorcerers, you do the same thing. They threw down their staffs, and they too became snakes. They thought they were matching Moses' power until Moses' snake ate their snakes. Many people today are putting forward false ideas that are opposed to God's truth. They may try to oppose God, but Paul says they won't get far. Their success will be for a moment. How can we be so sure? We know that in the end, God wins. Jesus said, one of his famous lines, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. People who reject Christ may uh, frighten us with their arguments, but Paul writes, they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. For a while, Jonas and Jambres looked like they could match the power of Moses, but in the end, they didn't get very far. We do not need to be afraid of things spinning out of control in our world. Even if falsehood for a while becomes wildly popular, in the end we realize it will fall flat. Things that are patently spurious, that are, that are false, uh, just don't make it in the long run. But God's truth ultimately prevails. Evil will not get very far. Um, this is true for policies being pursued in the United States that are false, in Russia, in China, in Iran, or any country in the world. Opposing God will not get very far. Let me give you a first century example. In the first century, there were three main Jewish groups. There were the Sadducees. Uh, they ruled the Sanhedrin, and they uh, were in charge of all the Jewish government. Then there were the Pharisees. They were the ones that taught people in the synagogues. They were the ones that were the scribes that uh, uh, handled God's word. And then finally, there were the Essenes. They were separatists that wanted nothing to do with Jewish community life. They were just downright weird. They thought everything going on was crazy, so they opted to just stay away from Jewish community life. They stayed outside of Jerusalem in a place called Qumran. Now, they had two groups. The first group uh, did not believe in marriage. They were totally celibate. They died out first. They were really weird. They taught that God uh, uh, doesn't want us to use soap. Uh, uh, and so they lived out in the desert. They didn't use oils. They didn't use soap. They had really rough skin. They thought that's the way God wanted it. They had... I mean, they were terrible. They had smelly skin, bad complexion. They thought that's what God wants. They were strange, but they didn't last long. They proved Paul's point. Strange ideas that go awry theologically don't last long. I'll give you a couple uh, examples from last, last century. Hitler wanted to rule the world. He did pretty good for a while, but ultimately he was stopped 
Communism began 1970 in Russia. They had a pretty good run, 60 years. But then ultimately it fell apart. And I think you can you could say the same will happen with China. When you set up a system that's based on the belief that there is no God when there is a God, that people aren't allowed <clears throat> to benefit from their efforts and succeed, which is opposed to the way God wired us, ultimately it will not last long, Paul says. Now, there was one good thing <clears throat> about the Essenes. They were <clears throat> meticulous record keepers. They were the ones <clears throat> who stored the Old Testament scriptures in 14 different caves in stone jars. Now, uh, theologians that, do, that don't believe that the Bible is inspired by God we're teaching that the uh, prophecies uh, about that Jesus fulfilled, about him being the Messiah, were written after Jesus had come. So they were doing pretty well. People were following them, believing what they were teaching. And until 1946, a Bedouin boy was looking for one of his goats, threw a little rock in a cave and heard a clinking sound. And he checked it out, and that's when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found every one of the 39 Old Testament books and commentary about 38 out of the 39 books, everyone except Esther, showing that the prophecies about Jesus, like he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver, he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, he would come out of Nazareth, remember Mary and Joseph fled to, uh, I'm not sorry, not Nazareth, Egypt, uh, that, that they fled to Egypt, so he came out of Egypt, that these prophecies were written hundreds of years before Christ came. So the Bible is supernatural. So what strategy can you use with people who are spinning wildly out of control? Paul says, opponents must be gently instructed. We're not to argue with them. We don't argue people into God's kingdom. We don't overwhelm them with our words and logic. We love them. Paul says the most fundamental characteristic of a person with character is that they love people. To be on mission with Jesus requires character. And the number one characteristic of character is love. Paul has already told Timothy he must guard the gospel. He must be strategic in passing the gospel on to people who can teach still others. Uh, he must teach the scriptures, but we don't hammer people over the head with the Bible. And he must teach people with gentleness and patience. Paul says we have the best chance of leading people to Christ if we love them. I told you a few months ago about Jory's brother, Jim. Let me give you just a few more details. Um, Jim uh, was... Uh, um, with our family, uh, the last 10 years of his life, he died suddenly in the middle of the night. Uh, we think of a heart attack. Jory didn't order an autopsy, but uh, um, police came in the middle of the night, wanted her to come over and uh, to the house. And, and uh, so uh, 
So she did, but in the last 10 years of his life, he, was, he moved to Portland. He was with our family. He was, he was with us uh, for every holiday, every birthday. He loved all of our nine kids, and they all loved him. Um, but it wasn't always that way. Uh, he was older than, than Jory, and uh, when she was uh, growing up, he got involved in a, a gang in Chicago, and uh, he got in trouble with the law and uh, spent some time in prison, and it was just a rough time. He was very mean to their parents, and so he got estranged from, from uh, uh, their mom and dad and from Jory, too. For years, he never saw them. He uh, was in the Hells Angels, and in order to get in the Hells Angels, you've got to do some bad stuff. Um, he was so estranged from uh, Jory's mom and dad that he didn't even come to their memorial services. So after they had died, uh, they split the estate between Jory and Jim, and then, but they left their stuff, uh, the furniture and personal items, just to let them sort out. So Jory called Jim, and she said, all right, here's what we have. Um, uh, what do you want? He says, I want all of it. She thought, okay, I've, I've been close to mom and dad all these years, and I've had the relationship with them. I don't need the stuff. So she sent it all to him. He was so shocked that she did that, that it, it thawed their relationship, and they began to have conversations. And Jory had the privilege in talking with him. He felt like God could never forgive him after all the terrible stuff he had done. She says, oh, Jesus died for every sin. You can be forgiven. And she had the privilege of leading Jim back into a relationship with Christ. How do we reach people who don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus, and want nothing to do with the church? Do we condemn them and tell them they're going to hell? Do we stay as far away from them as possible? Do we argue with them? No. We love them. If, like Jim, you feel far from God, or not where you want to be with God, you can commit your life to Christ right now as we pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you love us. You love us so much that you sent your son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and be restored to a right relationship with you. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you can tell him right now that you want him to forgive you. And that you believe Jesus was raised from the dead and you want him in your life, you can pray that right now. If you feel like you've already committed your life to Christ, you could tell Jesus, uh, tell God today that you want to be on mission with him. And you want to make a difference in this world. So you pray right now for just a minute. Lord God, thank you that you love us so much. You created this beautiful world for us to enjoy, and you sent your son to die for our sins so we could have a relationship with you. We thank you. And we want to be on mission with you this week, telling other people about your love and your forgiveness in Jesus' name.